Well, good morning. We're going to be in third chapter of 1 Samuel this morning. If you want to open your Bible there or your phone, whatever you use at this point in time. And uh, before you do that, once again, I want you to take a look around the room and see who's missing in action today that's a part of your small group and reach out to them and let them know that uh, you're missing them. Ask them if they're okay today. Uh, we want them to know that we love them and care for them, and the only way to do that is to reach out to them and let them know that. So I would encourage you to do that even right now as I'm speaking to you. 1 Samuel 3, I'm going to tell you the story this morning from the Word of God as best I can. You can fact check me uh, if, if you want to by reading along in the text. And I don't intend to quote this word for word. I just want to tell you the story and then make some comments on it. And then just apply it to us in the church of Jesus today. So 1 Samuel chapter 3. This story, like the last two weeks, it happened in the life of Samuel. And it happened in around the 11th century B.C. It happened in the land of Israel, and this particular story happened at a place called Shiloh. And uh, can you see Shiloh on the map up here, right there? Okay, Shiloh is where this story happened. And the reason it happened in Shiloh is because that's where the tabernacle of Moses resided. And Samuel was a young boy who was raised in the tabernacle and he served under a priest by the name of Eli. And Eli had two sons who served as priests in that tabernacle. But his sons were evil. And uh, they were doing incredibly wicked things actually in the tabernacle. They were committing sexual immorality with the women of Israel, and then they were partaking of the offerings that were being brought to the tabernacle to satisfy their own appetites rather than treating those offerings as they should. And so Samuel was a young boy being raised there in the tabernacle. You might remember that his mother was named Hannah. His birth was rather miraculous. And he slept there in the rooms adjoining the tabernacle. And Eli, the, the, the lead priest at that time, the chief priest at that time, slept in another room. And one night, while Samuel was sleeping, he heard a voice speak to him. And he answered the voice when it would called out to him, Here I am. And he thought it was Eli and being apparently a very obedient young 11-year-old boy, he got up and went to where Eli was sleeping, and he asked Eli how he could serve him. And Eli said, I did not call you. It wasn't me that called you. Well, Samuel went back to sleep, and the same thing happened again. The Lord called out to Samuel, and Samuel thought it was Eli. He went back into Eli and said, here I am. And Eli said, no, uh, I didn't call you. And so Samuel went back to sleep. Well, it happened a third time. And Samuel did the same thing and he went into Eli 
and said, well, here I am. You know, what do you need? And uh, Eli said, I didn't call you. And then at that moment, Eli thought, well, maybe the Lord's calling out to Samuel. So he encouraged Samuel the next time he heard the calling to say, here I am, Lord. Well, sure enough, it happened a fourth time. And Samuel responded by saying, here I am, Lord. And the Lord spoke to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm going to do something in Israel that will cause everyone's ears to tingle. It was going to get everybody's attention is what the Lord was saying to him. What I'm going to do in Israel. And the Lord said, In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to the end. The Lord said, for I've told Eli what, that I will judge his house for the iniquity which he knows because his sons have made themselves vile and he did not do anything to restrain his sons. And the Lord said, therefore I've sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And so Samuel, after he heard from the Lord, he went and he laid down. I think it's interesting that it doesn't say that he got sleep, that he went back to sleep. What if you'd been entrusted with such a difficult message and you were a young 11-year-old boy? Do you think you'd get much sleep? Well, it doesn't say that he went back to sleep, but he laid down until morning. And uh, then it was his responsibility to open the doors of the house of the Lord. And he, and he did that. And it says that he was afraid to tell Eli this vision that he had and what the Lord said to him. You understand that correctly? I mean, this was not going to be a very uh, popular message to deliver. You're going to tell someone, basically, that everything the Lord has already said, and we'll talk about that in a minute, it's going to come to pass, and it's not going to be good for you, and it's not going to be good for your sons, and it's not going to be good for your descendants. So here he is. Think about it. We just saw some children leave. Perhaps one of those was 11 years old, fifth grade and under. Just think about one of those children having the responsibility of delivering that kind of message to the chief priest of the nation of Israel. So he was afraid, it says, at that moment to deliver the message. But Eli called him, suspecting that he had received this message, and he called Samuel, and he said, Samuel, and he called him affectionately. He said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. And then Eli said, what is the word? that the Lord has spoken to you, Samuel. <laughs> well, Samuel needed that encouragement because he was afraid. And then Eli went on to say, please don't hide it from me. He said, God do so to you and more also. <laughs> wow. God do so to you, Samuel, and more also if you hide it from me or hide anything from me that he said to you. And then Samuel told Eli 
everything. He didn't hide anything from him. And Eli's response is interesting. Apparently, Eli had resolved himself to receive the judgment of the Lord. And so Eli said, well, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And then it says that, leaves that story behind. It says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and it let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, what can we learn from this story that I just told you? Well, first of all, we can learn that God chose Samuel to be his prophet. When Samuel was a child, he did not decide one day that his occupation would be that of a prophet. You see, it says in the text that Samuel did not even know the Lord when the Lord chose him. It says that he had not heard from the Lord before. In other words, when the Lord chose him, Samuel did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. And so the Lord chose Samuel and called him to be his prophet. And so we can learn from this story that God chose Samuel to be his prophet. And then we can learn from this story that prophets of God are foretellers. They are foretellers. In other words, Samuel told Eli what the Lord said to him, and what the Lord told Samuel was the future. And so Samuel told Eli the future. In fact, the word prophet literally means foretellers, foretellers of the future. Prophets of God were more than inspirational speakers for God that shared the truth with others. Certainly, uh, they did share the truth with others, the moral truth of God, but they also were foretellers. They foretold the future. And the Old Testament is just full of men and women that were prophets or prophetesses of God who foretold the future to people. That's what Noah did, right? If we told the story of Noah, Noah received from the Lord what was going to happen in the future. And he was a prophet of God, and he told the people what was going to happen in the future, and they didn't believe him. The same would be said for Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He was a prophet of God who God told him what the future was. And he believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And then you have Abraham's sons. They were all prophets. God revealed the future to them. Isaac and, and uh, Jacob. And, and, uh, and then you have Joseph. What a prophet of God Joseph was, right? I mean, he dreamed dreams about the future, and he had to tell his brothers about those dreams, and it got him in trouble because he prophesied about the future. Moses was certainly a prophet of God who foretold the future based upon what God said to him. And then we have Samuel. And then David himself, the king of Israel. He was one of the greatest prophets of God that was in the Old Testament. And we can read many of his prophecies in the book of Psalms. I mean, David even foretold the coming of the Messiah in Psalm 22 and what would happen 
to the Messiah in very specific ways. And then you have Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet who lived during the times of David, and he was one who called David to account for his sin. And then you have Elijah and Elisha, you have Joel and Jonah, you have Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, John the Baptist and Jesus and many, many more prophets of the Bible. They all foretold the future. And so prophets of God, we can learn from this story, are those who foretell the future. And then we can learn from this story that prophets of God deliver difficult messages, don't they? Samuel's message to Eli was that his ministry and the ministry of his sons as priests would be terminated. That's a difficult message to deliver. And his message was that every word of the Lord that had been spoken about Eli's family, they would all be fulfilled. Now, when you understand the word of the Lord and what Samuel was saying, you would think when Eli heard that prophecy, he would have just fallen down on his face in brokenness. You see, another unnamed prophet had already told Eli his future and the future of his family. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 2 and 27 through 36. But here's what this unnamed prophet said to Eli because of his sins and the sins of his sons. This unnamed prophet told Eli his future and he said that Eli and his descendants would be cut off from their service as priest. In other words, the way it was done in that particular time, it was done for priests and kings. Uh, the office was carried on by their descendants. That's who was going to be the next priest, is a descendant of Eli. The one who was going to be the next king was a son of the king. But this unnamed prophet told Eli that he and his descendants would be cut off from their service as priests, and it was going to be given to someone else's family and their descendants. Eli was told that his sons and all his future descendants would die in the flower of their age. You know what that means? My flower is fading. Dying in the flower of your age is before you get my gray hair. It's dying in the time of the strength of your life. And just to think that he received a prophecy that all of his descendants would die in the flower of their age for all future generations. Wow, what a judgment. And then that unnamed prophet said that Eli's family would become impoverished. Wow, that's great news, isn't it? That all of your descendants are going to be impoverished? And in order to survive, they were actually going to have to first go and beg from Samuel in order to even survive. And then it was told that his two sons would die on the same day. And they would die on the same day as a sign that all of these other prophecies were going to happen. And then he was told that he could not atone for his sins. That there was no sacrifice that he could make that would atone for his sins. You think, well, he must have committed a pretty serious offense. You're right. He defiled the holiness of God as a priest of God and did not restrain his sons from performing sexual immorality and 
showing contempt for the holiness of God in the very tabernacle of God. What a difficult message to deliver. And that was the message that this 11-year-old boy delivered to Eli that day. Everything that's been said is going to happen. So prophets of God deliver difficult messages. And then we can learn from this story that the Lord supports the words of his prophets with his power. Well, that's good news. That's really good news. The Lord supports the words of his prophets with power. In other words, if the prophecy is truly from the Lord about the future, then God is going to support the word with his power and it's going to come to pass. As a prophet, Samuel's part was just to pronounce the words that God gave him about the future. God's part was to let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, they would all come to pass and not be empty words that just fell to the ground. This meant God's part was to support Samuel's words with his power and to cause his prophecy to come to pass. God's part was to confirm Samuel's words in ways that would ultimately lead to changing the hearts of the people of Israel. But you need to understand that just because you proclaim the Lord's words and he supports it with his power, that doesn't mean that people will immediately repent. Samuel was a prophet of God in Israel for over 20 years before they finally repented of their idolatry. And we looked at that story last week of how they finally repented. But that was 20 years later after he started prophesying. Samuel was faithful to do and speak what God told him to speak, and the Lord did his part to support his words with his divine power. So we learn that the Lord supports the words of his prophets with his power. Interesting stuff, right? Well, how do these lessons from the life of Samuel apply to those of us who are members of the church of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, Here's how it applies. Every member of the church of Jesus is chosen by God to be a prophet of God. Everyone in this room that has received the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been chosen by God to be a prophet of God. In Ephesians 4 and 11 and 12, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he said, and he himself gave some to be apostles, and that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of, of Christ. These offices here that are mentioned are filled by those people that have been given special gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the special gifts of the Holy Spirit enable those who have been set apart for these offices to do what? Well, it says to equip the church for the work of ministries. And one of those works of ministry that everyone in the church is called to do is to prophesy. Now, most everyone here would agree that we've all been called and chosen to evangelize, but and that the evangelist equips us to evangelize. 
But have you ever considered the fact that all of us are called to prophesy and God has anointed those with this gift that can equip us to prophesy? Peter indicated in his sermon at Pentecost that what the Jews were witnessing when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church was a fulfillment of a prophecy of a prophet by the name of Joel in the Old Testament. And Joel had prophesied that in the New Covenant, God would make with his people a covenant and that everyone who entered into that covenant would be prophets who prophesied for God. This is what Peter said as he was quoting from Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass in the last days, and that's when the new covenant was established, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Whoa, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, see, he's telling you, it's everybody. From the least and the lowest to the highest, I will pour out on my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Paul emphasized the importance of prophecy to every member of the church at Corinth when he told them to all desire that they would prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 14, after that famous chapter on love in chapter 13, Paul said, yep, pursue love, because love is the main motivation for all of the other workings of the Spirit. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but he said, especially that you may prophesy. And then he goes on to tell why prophesying is so important even in the church. When we receive Jesus Christ, we are united in spirit with the Holy Spirit and we become members of the body of Christ. We need to understand that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Jesus prophesied then. He was a prophet. And Jesus is still prophesying today. He has not changed. Jesus is king, Jesus is priest, and Jesus is prophet. And as members of his body, we represent him on earth as kings and priests and prophets. So every member of the church of Jesus is chosen by God to be a prophet of God. Another way this story applies to us is that as prophets of God, we are foretellers. Now, there are those in the church that try to water this down and say, well, you know, prophets of God are those who just proclaim the word of God. They're not today people who tell the future. I tell you what, those people who do that are doing an incredible disservice to the body of Jesus Christ. As prophets of God, we are all foretellers tellers. You know, knowing the future is very powerful, and it's very advantageous when you know the future. In fact, I want to know more of the future than what I know, because when I know the future, it's very powerful. 
And it's very beneficial to me to know the future. Successful businesses understand this principle. And so what they do, if they're going to remain successful, is they, they study the future. They strategize based on their knowledge of the future. Those successful businesses that remain successful, they base their future decisions on their understanding of the future. They don't just look at what's happening today. Just recently, we were encouraged by one of our fellow board members at Kimray to watch a video about the future of the automobile industry. Wow, that's all I can say. The future of the automobile industry and how it's going to change in the near future. And this fella, he laid out from history how various industries had basically gone broke and bankrupt because those businesses did not anticipate the changes that were coming in technology and the future. He said, do you remember Motorola? Do you remember Nokia? They made some critical errors in their projections of the future, and it came a lot quicker than what they thought. And he demonstrated all throughout history, in fact, it was incredible. He started out by showing this particular street in New York City in 1900, and Scott, it was all filled with horse-drawn carriages, and there was one automobile. And then he showed it about 10 years later. It was all filled with automobiles and one horse-drawn carriage. I want you to understand, if you were manufacturing horse-drawn carriages in 1900, and you did not anticipate that change that was going to happen in 10 years, you went out of business. You lost your business. And all businesses are, are aware of this that are any good, and they have people that are projecting the future, and they're always listening and saying, what can we do to prepare for the future as a business as technology changes? Successful sports teams spend many hours before each game scouting their opponent and planning their strategy based on their knowledge of the future. Many of you know that I now help with the UCO men's basketball team. And we used to, when I was coaching in high school basketball, scout our opponent. Why would we scout our opponent? Because we wanted to know what was going to happen in the future so we could prepare for what was going to happen in the future. But I want you to know when you get into college basketball, it's a whole different level of preparation. Those scouting reports that they do are so extensive. I mean, they've got one assistant coach that's breaking down every player and his tendencies. And then they've got another assistant coach that's breaking down their offense and their offensive tendencies. And then they've got another assistant coach that's breaking down the defensive tendencies of that team. You know where they're learning all of that? They got it on film. They watch all the games that those teams have played the whole year before we play them again. And they come up with a scouting report, and then we base our strategy upon that report going into that game. Team we lost to by eight points about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, we beat them by ten yesterday. Because we had the right strategy based upon projections of the future of what they were going to do. And I want you to know in the second half of that game, we frustrated them. 
by what we were doing. And we changed what we were doing from the last game to this game. That's the way good sports teams do. They come to understand the future and they base their strategy on their knowledge of the future. You may have read recently about this incredible scandal that's happened with the Houston Astros baseball team. They understood the principle, right? If you can get a batter in the batter's box, even though you've got a pitcher that's throwing the ball 100 miles an hour, and he's throwing breaking balls that will break anywhere from 6 inches to 12 inches in various directions, if that batter can know what pitch that pitcher is getting ready to throw, then it's, you have a better chance of hitting that ball and being successful. It's advantageous to know he's getting ready to throw a curveball on the outside part of the plate. That means I'm going to crowd into the plate. It also means I don't have to swing as fast because it's a breaking pitch. I have a greater likelihood of getting a hit. So the Houston Astros came out with a plan to steal signs. They had cameras out in the outfield reading the catcher's signs. Now I want you to know there's nothing wrong with stealing signs in baseball. If you're on second base, and you're the opponent, you were taught that you looked in to the catcher to read his signs, and you tried to signal the batter what was coming. That's legal sign stealing. But using technology was illegal by the Houston Astros. And they all, the way they communicated with the players that were batting is they had a big tin metal trash can in their dugout, and one hit on the can meant here was the pitch that was coming. Two hits meant another one. Three hits meant another one. And that's the way they were signaling their batters. Do you know the Houston Astros won the World Series that year? Well, of course they did. Of course they did. And now the whole sports world is up in, world, up in arms saying they should be stripped because of that title because of what they did was illegal. Sports teams understand how important it is to know the future and then build your strategy based on the future. Our federal government. We spend billions of dollars every year scouting our enemies and planning their strategy based on their knowledge of their future. In fact, just recently, President Trump got in trouble because he ordered an attack upon an Iranian general because of what reason? He said because he was a, we got information that he was an imminent threat. What's that? He's getting ready to do something big. And so because of their knowledge of their future, they made a strategic decision to take him out. And that's, that's the way our military functions. I mean, they're constantly trying to learn the, the future to plan their current strategy. Local weather forecasters spend incredible sums of money on technology and manpower to be able to make more accurate forecasts about the weather. And I want you to know they've got a lot of work to do. Right? But they understand that when it comes to ratings, who are we going to listen to out here? You know, well, we're going to listen to those people that we think are the most accurate in projecting the future. And today, it's incredible. Those weather forecasters can say, we're going to have a bad weather day tomorrow, and all the schools close down before we see even any moisture whatsoever. It never happened in our day, right? No, it never happened. But that's the way it is. It's, it's so advantageous and successful 
to be that way, you've got to know the future. So businesses and sports teams, our federal government, our weather forecasters, they all understand that knowing the future is powerful. It's advantageous. It's important to success. Church, when are we going to catch up here? Where, when are we going to tap into this and begin to use it to our advantage? The early church certainly used it. They were constantly telling people, lost people, here's the future. You need to get prepared for this. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. They may get offended. We have all been anointed by God to be prophets of God and foretell the future based on the word of God. Every single one of us. Our knowledge of the future is powerful and it's advantage, advantageous to us. But our knowledge of the future is also very important to the success. Not just the success. The salvation of the lives of other people. We are called to be prophets of God and tell them what we know about the future. As prophets of God, we are all foretellers. And then as prophets of God, we have been given the difficult messages to deliver. You know, for those who believe our message is about the future, our prophecies give hope. And so we go to a funeral, and those who believe the message, they get encouraged. We talk about the future, don't we, at funeral services? We talk about heaven. We talk about the coming of Jesus. We talk about being together again. And those messages about the future, they give hope and comfort to those who are grieving. They certainly do me. But for those who are not yet believers, our prophecies about the future are offensive. Our prophecies about the future are very disturbing. Because of the Word of God... Here's some things that we know about the future that all of us should be telling people that are lost. First of all, it's appointed for every one of us to die once. Death is going to happen. Death is going to happen. And then it says, and after death comes the judgment. That's the future. Death, judgment. Death, judgment. We all know those things are going to happen. And it's our responsibility to tell people what's going to happen. You're going to die, and then you're going to experience judgment by God. And we even have prophecies that are right there in the Word of God about what that judgment is going to be like. I mean, it's pretty clear. You can read about it if you want to in Revelation, the 20th chapter, about verse 11 through 15. And here's what it says. John says, and he's looking at the future, I saw a great white throne. I saw a great white throne. And I saw him who was sitting upon that throne. Is what John says about the future. This is the judgment. I saw a great white throne, and I saw him who was sitting upon that throne. And from his face, heaven and earth 
fled away, disappeared, departed. And they were no more because there wasn't any place for them. Now here's the future. John saw, and I saw the dead, small and great, all standing before the throne. And then he said, and I saw books. Books were opened. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And everyone, everyone, all the dead, was judged according to their works or their deeds that were written in the books. And then John saw that the sea gave up the dead that were in them. You wonder about all those people who perished in the sea and their bodies? What happened to their bodies? They're all eaten by fish, you know? I saw the sea give up the dead that were in it. And I saw death and Hades. They gave up all the dead that were in them. Here they are. They're all standing in front of the throne being judged by God. I saw it. That's the future. Every one of us. Every one of us, by the way, is going to see this literally, by the way. This is the future. And everyone was judged according to their deeds. And then, and then, death and Hades, like suddenly, were cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. First death is physical death, but there's a spiritual death that's judgment. And death in Hades itself, those locations were consumed, thrown into a lake of fire. The second death, and then anyone's name who was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Look, we know the future. It's appointed that man die one, then face judgment, and then we know what's going to happen at that judgment. We know the future. And it's our responsibility as prophets of God to tell people what the future is. And because of the Word of God, we know how to escape that judgment. We've got the good news. How to escape it. How to avoid it. How to get your name written in that book of life. Because I want you to understand something. When it comes to being judged according to our deeds by a holy God, none of us is going to pass. The only way you're going to get passed is if your name's written in the book of life. And here's what Jesus said about having our name written in that book. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he who believes in him is, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. 
We've got the answer. We know the future. We know the escape route. And we are the prophets of God to go and foretell what's going to happen and tell people, hey, you need to get out. You need to get out. I mean, good night. Ben Manus loves me enough that if he thinks the stock market's going to fall, he calls me to tell me to get out. Hey, there's something much more at stake here than the stock market, right? The eternal souls of people. And you and I, church, we've got the answer. We know that if people want to receive Jesus, we know what they need to do. Paul told us, he said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? That judgment that we know that's coming. He says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation, for the scripture says, he who believes on him will not be ashamed. Hallelujah. You and I, we know what people need to do to avoid the future judgment. And we're the prophets of God given this, it's a difficult message. Who wants to go around and, and tell people about judgment that's coming? Right? But that's our job as prophets of God and God has revealed it to us. And then, last thing here, and I'll close this morning. The Lord supports his words of his prophets as uh, the Lord supports the words of his prophets in the church with his power. Isn't that comforting? In other words, as a prophet of God, my part is to pronounce the word of the God to you or to anyone else. That's my part. I can't change people's hearts. God's part is to let none of my words fall to the ground, just as he did for Samuel. That's his part, not my part. And as I prophesy about the future and share the gospel with other people, God's part is to support my words with his power and change people's hearts. We saw how he did it for Samuel, right? <laughs> Eli's two sons, you know what happened to them? They died on the same day, just like Samuel prophesied would happen. Eli's descendants did not continue to serve as priest in the tabernacle. In fact, Samuel replaced him as the priest. Eli's descendants died during the flower of their age. Eli's descendants became impoverished. Samuel predicted that the new king that was chosen after Samuel stepped down as judge, he prophesied that his reign would be torn from him, and it was and it would be given to another. Samuel prophesied that David would become king of Israel. And we told the story of how he was anointed. And Samuel anointed David. And you know what happened? God, God supported him with his power. David became the next king. God fulfilled his part in the prophecies of Samuel. And church, we've got to believe that God is going to support the words that we speak, if we, were, we will speak them to others. How has the Lord done this for me? You know, sometimes God gives us words from the Scripture that we can just stand on on solid ground and say, this is the word of the Lord, it's in the Scripture. It's the future, folks. Come on, we can pronounce this 
and proclaim it. You know, sometimes God gives us really personal things about our future that are personal to us. In fact, the Lord spoke to me years and years ago from Psalm 40, 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. And he drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's a prophecy to me. Yeah, it's in the Psalms, but it was a personal prophecy to me that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I launched out into ministry based upon that prophecy. And you know what God has done? God has confirmed, supported me, His Word with His power. And over and over again, I've seen as I proclaim the future to people, people come to know Jesus for all of these many years. One day I was doing a, a revival in Allen, Oklahoma, and the pastor asked me to talk to the youth minister. His youth minister was having some moral issues and problems and problems in his marriage, and I went to speak to him. And I listened to him. I try to be a good listener, and as I listened to him, I could see in him something that he couldn't see in himself. And I told him, after I'd listened to him, that he was proud and arrogant. I told him he was proud and arrogant and that he was going to have to go through a great deal of pain in his future because of his pride and arrogance if he didn't repent. Well, I did that meeting and he didn't repent during that meeting and it was like over 10 years later, I was in my office down here and a guy knocked on my door in my office and he said, do you know who I am? And I said, no. And he said, I'm that youth director from that church in Allen, Oklahoma. And he said, I looked you up and I wanted to drop by to thank you for speaking those words to me. Because God finally got my attention. And even though I went through all kinds of pain, because I didn't listen to you the first time, I wanted to tell you that I appreciated what you shared with me and I've repented now. And I'm walking with the Lord. When Dennis Jernigan came here and I began to see the gift in him, one day I told Dennis, if you'll listen to the Lord, you can write a new song every day. And he goes around the world now with his music. And I hear him say that all the time. A pastor at Western Hills told me that if I'd listen to the Lord, he'd give me a new song every day. God blessed that. He supported it with his power. A few years ago, my brother Jim's here today. This is in the early 80s. He's 80 years old now. This was before he was married to Norma, who they've been married for many, many years now. He called me from California. And he was heartbroken, and he told me that he was leaving Texas. He lived in Texas at the time. He was going to move to California. He was going to change his name. And he said, we may never see each other again. He was in such a desperate condition. When I said to him, I said, Jim, listen. What was I, 28 years old at the time? I don't know. 28, 27? He's 15 years older than me. I said, Jim, listen. I said, changing your name 
is not going to make your life better because the problems that you have are within you. And until you address the problems that are within you, life is not going to get better. And I said, well, why don't you come back and spend some time with Debbie and I, and we'll talk about things. And he said he would consider it. And then he hung up the phone. Well, that's landline. No cell phones. And I realized at that moment I had no way to communicate with him again. And I heard the desperation in his voice, and I even thought he could have been suicidal. So I was heartbroken. I went to my bedroom, and I fell down beside my bed, and I began to cry out to the Lord. Agonizing cries. Debbie was so upset by the pain in my voice that she could hear. She didn't know what had happened. She came in and knelt down beside me as I wept and cried out to the Lord. As I was praying, I got a prophecy. I saw Jim running into walls. Three different walls. It was like he was in a box, but there was three walls to the box. And he was running into these walls. And I didn't know what the prophecy meant. There was three of them, three different sides. But I know for whatever reason, after I had that, I got peace. And I turned him over to the Lord. Well, the next day or so, he called me. And he said, Jerry, is that offer to come back to your place still there? And I said, well, sure it is, Jim. He said, it just seems like everywhere I go, I'm running into walls. He said, I'll be there in like 24 hours. He's driving from California, and he drove over to our place, and he spent about a week at our place. God was already working in his heart, but it just continued to work. Now he's 80 years old and been serving the Lord for all these years. Married to a wonderful woman who supports him, and they work together to serve the Lord. What a blessing it is. But it all came from what? Personal prophecy. It's what gave me faith. So there are those times where the Lord speaks to us in a very personal way. I wish there was more of them. I really do. I'd go around telling all of you your futures and hopefully it'd be advantageous to you somehow. But it doesn't happen that way. All I can do is cry out to the Lord and be obedient to the things that I feel that he's putting on me. Be obedient though. Share, share it. If he's putting something in your heart, you might test it, but believe it and go share it after it's tested. So the Lord supports the words of his prophets with his power. Woo! My challenge to you today is will you be like Samuel and accept your anointing as a prophet of God? I don't know how far that's going to go for you if you're a believer in Christ, but I know there's plenty in the scriptures to prophesy and tell people about the future. You know, the sort of the way I see it, as, you, as you're willing to obey what God has already said, he tends to give more, like Tom was talking about, to those people who are obedient. If you want more personal things, obey what he's already said. Start sharing with others about the things we know for sure that are in the scripture, that are prophecies of the future. 
and try to lead people to Jesus by sharing with them those things. So will you be like Samuel and accept your anointing as a prophet of God? Will you foretell the future and deliver the difficult messages the Lord has called you to deliver? Will you not fear man? Because isn't that the greatest enemy of being a prophet? Will you not fear man and will you trust the Lord to support your words with his power? He will if they're his words. He'll support those words with his power. Would you pray with me this morning? First of all, I told you what the future holds. Are you ready? I wish I could tell you that you've got guaranteed life for 70 years or 80 years, but we all know that's not true. You need to be ready for your day of judgment, which will come for all of us. Are you ready? Are you ready? If not, please get ready today. Receive Jesus right now as your personal Savior and Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and get ready. Get ready for what the scripture says is going to happen. Would you do that today? Get ready. If so, just tell Jesus. I receive you as the Lord of my life. I'm trusting you to save me from my sin and from the judgment that I deserve for my sin. Now, if you just did that, or maybe you done it last week, last month, whatever, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. You need to indicate that to us, and we will help you get baptized. And you can do that by speaking to me or one of our staff members, Brandon or Britt, or one of our elders. And, or you can do it by putting it on one of those Connect cards and put your name and number and say, I need to be baptized. Now, church, as we pray, will you commit yourself to be the prophet of God that God's called you to be? Will you put off the fear of man and speak forth the future that God has shown you from the Scripture to those who are lost to help them prepare for what's coming? Will you surrender like Samuel did? As 11 years old, he surrendered. Will you surrender now to be the prophet of God? Let Christ in you work through you to speak the truth to those who need to hear the truth? If you would surrender, church, would you just tell him that right now? I surrender. I will go where you want me to go. I will speak what you want me to speak. Here am I. Here am I. Would you say that to the Lord this morning? And then I want us to pray over the names on our name wall. Would you just repeat this after me if you're a member of the church of Jesus and you want these people to be saved? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus save, these lost souls. save these lost souls. 
by your power. Show them the future. Show them what they need to do to get prepared. Change their hearts. We're going to finish with a time of prayer today, and we need to keep praying for the McKeithans. He's rallied. Paul has rallied since last week, and uh, I haven't heard a word today. Is things about the same? I haven't heard. Ben, have you heard? All right. Well, we want to continue to stand in prayer for him, and he's asked specifically for our elders to pray for him. So I'm going to ask all of our elders here. I mean, Scott's on the piano, but could all our elders come right over here? Do you know what he asked specifically for? He's got a heart valve issue, and they're not going to be able to do surgery on it. They've told him that because of his condition. But he had enough faith to ask our elders to pray for that heart valve to be fixed. Well, I feel like we need to <laughs> support him in that. A man in his condition asking for that kind of thing to happen. So if you guys would pray for that, that would be awesome. And then I heard from Eloise back there that Kathy Taylor, who we've been praying for, for, you know, she originally had cancer. We were praying for that to be healed. Then she had a stroke during the middle of her treatment. And now she just got a report back that she's free of cancer. Yeah. I mean, the ways of the Lord are really mysterious to me, but I, I know God's working in her life, but we want to continue to pray for her as well. Do you have a need for prayer? Let's stand together. If you have a need for prayer, whatever the reason, then I want you to come on up. You can join our elders if you want to pray for the McKeithans, but maybe you need to pray for something else. Come on up, and people will come and pray with you about that need. Would you do that at this time if you have a need for prayer?